Last week we were talking about uh, Apostle Paul's eternal perspective, and uh, we ran we ran out of time, so it ended up becoming a part two uh, sermon. Would you join me real quick and let's let's uh, let's pray, Lord? Uh, just ask you bless the word, the giving of the word uh, this morning, Lord, that you give us uh, ears to hear, <clears throat> you give us uh, hearts to to receive, Lord, and uh, we would just be prepared to. Uh, to hear from you and and to to move uh, accordingly, Lord, we thank you in advance. In Jesus' name, Amen. So we're talking about what is it? What is going to push our faith forward uh, when we enter hardship? When we enter trying times? And there's a lot to learn from the uh, Apostle Paul, especially as his life. I mean, throughout his whole ministry, but especially as his life started to. Uh, come to an end. Uh, what I've learned from Paul is that it is vital to have an eternal, what I call, what we call, is uh, an eternal perspective, an eternal perspective. And so we're going to get into that as we as we get into uh, 2 Timothy this morning. But remember, Paul was a Pharisee. He was a, a religious uh, Jewish guy. They were the religious elite. Uh, started off as a pretty uh, good and pious group, but they had gotten so by the book that um, they had lost the heart of what uh, what the the heart of the law was really about love, loving God namely loving God and loving loving your neighbor as yourself and they they had lost that they were just a bunch of judgmental religious uh, folk um, that people sort of looked up to but didn't like very much and um, Paul was also a persecutor of of Christians they saw these these Christians they were a cult. Right, they were a branch off of Judaism, and um, he persecuted them. He thought he was doing good by God by going and having them arrested and and put in uh, and put in prison. Some would be executed. Um, but then, as he is headed uh, towards a town called Damascus, he has a meeting with the resurrected Jesus. Jesus appears to him, says, "Paul, why are you persecuting me?" And Paul's like, "Well." Who are you, Lord? And he's like, I'm Jesus of Nazareth. And Paul's like, uh-oh, okay. <laughs> and Paul, as Luke was talking about this morning, he repents. He changes his mind about who Jesus is, you know, in a moment, right, really. And uh, he does a complete 180, and soon Paul becomes the greatest missionary that we have ever, ever known, the Apostle Paul. Uh, and uh, as we talked about a little bit last week, it hasn't been an easy road for Paul, Uh during his uh, his missionary journeys, he was whipped, he was beaten with rods, he was stoned, he uh, he was shipwrecked on several uh, occasions in dangerous waters. He was persecuted, uh, uh, constantly conflicting with false teachers who would come up behind him in the churches and and uh, have false teachings. He experienced many a sleepless nights. He was often without food and in frigid cold weather. Uh, and he admitted to having anxiety for the churches that he planted in their care. And so Paul had a pretty rough life. He experienced a lot of, a lot of hardship. And so towards the end of his uh, ministry, uh, Paul is warned not to go to Jerusalem. He wants to go to Jerusalem because he has a gift that he had collected from all the Gentile churches, and he wants to bring it to the Jewish church there in Jerusalem. And he has this... Uh, he has this money. He's dead set on going to Jerusalem. And all along the way, these prophets and prophetesses, they start prophesying and predicting, hey, when you go to Jerusalem, bad things are going to happen. You're going to be arrested, Paul. And Paul's like, I'm going anyways. 
Um, he did not see the warnings coming from the Holy Spirit as meaning telling him not to go. <laughs> it was just warning him of the danger that was uh, to come. And so Paul goes to Jerusalem, and sure enough, he's arrested. He's brought to uh, he's brought to Rome. He's shipwrecked again <laughs> along along the way. Pretty rough journey there to Rome, and he's placed on house arrest for two years in the year uh, sixty A.D. And so he's on house arrest for two years, and that's where last week we. We were looking at the letter to the Philippians. That's where he wrote the letter. Uh, there were several other letters that he wrote during that time. Ephesians was one of them, but he wrote a letter to the Philippians. And if you remember, one of his great quotes from that book is he told the Philippians, he's like, hey, don't worry about me. Me being arrested, good is coming out of this. Like there's people already being saved. Great things are happening. Such a great perspective he had. And uh, he's like, you know, actually, to me, to live is Jesus Christ, doing the work of Jesus Christ, but to die is gain. To live is Christ and to die is gain. He's like, but you know what? I still have work to do. So I have a hunch that God's going to deliver me. He's going to answer your prayers and he's going to deliver me out of this. And uh, I'm going to be on my way uh, of spreading the gospel. Once again, he was right. He was released in uh, around 62 AD. And uh, it's possible that the Romans, as they often did, they saw... This is a Jewish issue with dealing with their Jewish law, had nothing to do with Rome. And so they, they allowed Paul to go and be free. But then two years later, 64 AD, something happens in Rome. There's a big fire in Rome and uh, it destroys uh, much of Rome. And it, a lot of historians think that it was probably an accident, but everybody started looking at Nero, <laughs> the emperor Nero, which was a pretty corrupt dude. Probably one of the most corrupt dudes of all of all time. And so they all eyes are on Nero and he's like, ah, I can't have people looking at me that way, uh, whether he did it or not. And so what does he do? There's this little sect of Christians that uh, he doesn't like very much. And a lot of other people, a lot of other Romans don't like very much. And hey, why not blame them? So he blames them for the fire. And the results is uh, many are burned at the stake. Some are crucified. Some are uh, thrown to wild beasts and a great persecution breaks out. And uh, a lot of Christians die. They're martyred uh, for their faith. During that time, Peter and Paul, and amongst others, they're also arrested. And Paul is thrown in what is uh, called the Mamertine Dungeon. And uh, I'm just going to go. I'm not go showing all the pictures that I showed last week, but just to review. And some of you who weren't here, and just so you kind of get a picture of the background, this is from our recent trip. The first picture is not from our trip. Would you uh, do the slides for me? I know I got the clicker, I guess. Um, we actually didn't visit the Mamertine dungeon, but this is where Paul was held uh, captive until he was uh, beheaded. Um, so that's where he was. That is the path uh, out into the woods. Now there's a little church slash museum that is built uh, there at the end of the, the path, but where he was taken off and he was uh, beheaded for his... Uh, uh, faith. That's on the outskirts of Rome there. And this is where, this is the location where Paul is, is uh, buried. Uh, about 20 years ago, um, they examined the uh, remains and it dated back to the first century. So there's a pretty good chance that this really is uh, the Apostle, Apostle Paul. Remember, he's holding a sword there in that statue. Go back one. Um, not because Paul was some kind of uh, great warrior, He's holding a sword because that's what he was beheaded with. Um, and so that's the church they built up around it. You go to the next one, and you see the, um, 
the location of his burial under that glass and also behind that grate there is where the Apostle Paul's tomb uh, lies. So we're looking. Paul is right at the end of his life. Uh, it's his uh, second uh, imprisonment um, in Rome, and this time he is going to die. Uh, it's not house arrest. He's in the Mamertine dungeon. And um, this letter also focuses, so this is the last letter that he wrote, uh, it also focuses on a couple of guys who are stirring problems um, um, in Ephesus where Timothy uh, was. These guys had been creating uh, what Paul calls controversies and quarrels. They're, they're wreaking havoc and creating division. And actually both First Timothy, which is probably a year or two before that, and then b- before he went into prison, and Second Timothy are focusing on um, these, these quarrels and controversies that are happening in, uh, in the church. And Timothy, he's a pupil of Paul's. He's a, he's a pastor, elder, young guy. And uh, so he's giving him, him uh, advice. And so these guys, they're not only creating these quarrels and controversies, but they're not leading a, a godly life. They're not leading a very uh, uh, godly, they're not a very godly example on top of their, their false teachings. And you remember Jesus, he said that you shall know them by their fruits. And when he says that, he's not just talking about all Christians. He's talking particularly when Jesus says that, he's talking about false teachers. He's like, when teachers, you know, they can even teach something correct or they can teach something false, but you're going to know them by their fruits. He's not just talking about the, the words that come out of their mouth, but the way they live, the way they live their lives. So I think there's even some teachers that teach, maybe they have some thought, solid theology, but the way they teach, they're hateful, you know, they're ugly towards others. And I, I think that's a product that's, that's fruit, right? That's fruit that they bear. And um, I think we need to be very careful of those teachers. Um, but also, what I want you to recognize, First Second Timothy, because some people are against ever calling out somebody uh, by name. And I do think in our time and culture, we got to be careful because uh, brothers are picking on other brothers, right? Somebody they just don't agree with, you know, they're calling them out by name. And you see these, you know, especially you get into the famous preachers and authors and they're arguing and, and calling each other out. And everybody seems to be a heresy, you know, a heretic these days just because you don't agree. Uh, with somebody, and there, there's no place for that. But I also want to point out that there is a time and place to call somebody out by name. And uh, if, if somebody is wreaking havoc in the church and causing danger to the church, I don't have any problem calling them out by name. And we'll see that, that Paul does it. Uh, in fact, three guys that he mentions is Hymenius, Alexander, and uh, Philetus. In first, first, uh, first Timothy, uh, Hymenius and Alexander are causing problems. And then, man, this Hymenius guy, he's a pretty, he's a pretty bad dude. It's him and Philetus. So he's causing problems. He's still there two years later wreaking uh, havoc. So he's brought up in both of these letters. Um, and Paul's saying, hey, man, have nothing to do uh, with these fellas. Um, so Paul is entering the end of his life. Uh, if you have your Bibles or uh, your Electronic devices turn to 2 Timothy chapter 3, and we're going to start in verse 10. 2 Timothy chapter 3, starting in verse 10. So remember, he's talking about these, uh, these corrupt teachers who are causing problems. And picking up in verse 10, he's like, but you, however, Timothy, right? Timothy, however, 
man, you, you followed my teaching. You followed my conduct, right? So not only his teaching, but uh, his, his, his way of being, right? The fruit in his life, he's followed after that. Uh, my aim in life, which is, uh, is Christ, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch and Incomnium and, and uh, Lystra, which, uh, which persecutions I endured. So Timothy is also, he's recognizing that Timothy's not only followed his conduct and his teaching, but uh, Timothy's also endured suffering uh, by the hands of others, and he's undergone persecution. And so, so Paul is saying, hey, I can relate to you in that way. It's also happened to me in various places, persecutions which I endured. Yeah, from all of them, the Lord has rescued me. And so Paul recognizes that God has delivered him on more than one occasion. That's going to be important later. Remember that. God has delivered Paul on more than one occasion. And then Paul says this in verse 12. He says, indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. We mentioned that last week, is if you follow Jesus Christ, you are an open Christian, right? And you're not hiding uh, your faith, right? Not being a bully. We're not talking about being a bully and beating everybody over the head with the Bible. But if you're openly a Christian, yes, in other nations right now, people are being killed and persecuted heavenly, but even in America, if you follow Jesus Christ, you're at least going to experience rejection as a believer. So he can, so Paul can indeed say, even in our culture, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. While evil people and imposters, they're going to go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. He's got these these guys in mind that are um, spreading these false uh, teachings and causing all kinds of trouble. And the point is, is that <clears throat> there's some people that are just going to fall into more and more evil. They're going to keep the, they're just going to become more and more ungodly. And here's the thing. Here's the way persecution works. Even when it's just rejection and being slandered and so forth. They're going to continue in more and more evil. And then they're going to treat you as if you are evil. By doing evil to you. That's the way persecution works. They're going to treat you as if you are evil by doing evil. Uh, what is right is called wrong. What is wrong is called right. Bible talks about verse 14. But as for you, Timothy, continue in what you have learned and also firmly believed, knowing from who you learned it, that would be Paul, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Uh, so he, he tells him to continue in what you firmly believed and also to continue in the scriptures. If you want to be equipped in life from, if you want to if you want to be equipped to make it through life in a harsh, harsh world, an ugly and broken and evil world, it's important that you get equated with your Bible. It's important that we know the word. Uh, a lot of us don't, uh, don't know the word. And, and when, when persecutions come, uh, Jesus talked about it. We'll fall away, right? 
He says, hardships will come, and there are those that receive the word with gladness, and as soon as, as, soon as hardships come, they, they, they're like, oh, I'm checking out. I didn't expect this. I don't like this. And so if you want to make it in a harsh word, world, you need to know your Bible. It's important that we spend time in the word of God. I mean, just reading it this week, uh, sitting down with a, with a pen and, you know, and sitting there and underlining and reading slowly uh, through First and Second Timothy is such a, it's such a blessing. There is nothing else like, like the Word of God. No, no other book. And I love other books, right? I read other books. I'm a reader, right? Uh, Paul was a reader. Uh, he had told, I believe it was Timothy, he says, hey, maybe at the end of this letter, he says, hey, bring my books. Or maybe it was one his, after his his first imprisonment, but he's like, hey, bring, bring my books. I want my books. He was a reader, but there's nothing like the word of God. It'll, it'll comfort us. It'll encourage us in our time of need. It's a living word. God will speak to us. If you, if you uh, read God's word expecting to hear from God, you will hear from God. Paul goes on to say, he says, all scripture is breathed out by God and it is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction and for training in righteousness, that the man or woman of God may be complete. What's that word? Maybe your Bible says perfect, that you may be whole, right? Jesus declares us by faith, by his grace. That's what the gospel is, right? Not anything we deserve. He, he declares us whole and complete the moment we trust in him, right? But we got to live into that, right? And when we live, we live into that by investing time in God's word, it equips us for every good work. It equips us for this, this life. Some people called the Bible a training manual. I don't really like that uh, because it, it is a story and so much more. It's not just some kind of you know, owner's, man, uh, owner's manual, but it indeed is our, it's our, it, it, it's, it's, uh, our means of being equipped to live this life until Jesus returns. Paul said to, to the Philippians, he says, to live is Jesus Christ, to die is gain. Meaning to live, to live in this present world is to live for Jesus Christ. If we're to live for Christ in this present world, scripture is vital. Dare I say, as a, as a Christian, as a believer, you cannot do it. You cannot live a successful life without being in the word of God. Also think about it this way. There's a lot of places, even today, that where you Christians are not allowed um, to read God's word. They have to smuggle in God's word. They don't have the privilege of reading God's word freely like we do here, right? The, the, the Great Reformation in the 15 and 1600s, part of that was all about so that we, the, the, hand, the, the Bible would be in the hands of the people, right? Only the elite, right? Only the educated, only those who knew Latin were able to read the word of God. And the reformers wanted to get the Bible back in the common person's and, and so we can thank the reformers for us having the Bible in English where we can read it today. So that's what he's encouraging Paul or uh, uh, Timothy uh, to do. Not only that, Timothy's a pastor for him to preach the word. So Paul goes on and he exhorts Timothy to keep preaching, keep preaching the word, keep preaching the, uh, the scriptures, Timothy. Fulfill your ministry, fulfill your purpose, what you were called to do despite all the persecution. That's the context. Like, I know it's hard, right? I know people are standing against you, but, but man, keep, keep going. Keep it up. Because what's going to happen, Timothy, is there's going to be a day, man, people are, people are already starting to turn to myths, right? They're starting to turn to what uh, the things that they want to hear, right? And so it's important that we, 
that we uh, stick by God's word and we preach the truth, Timothy, and no matter what comes against us, we persevere and we keep preaching the truth, even if it means death. We need to keep preaching the truth because there, there are false teachers like the ones that are in Ephesus right now, and they're standing against us. It's important that we keep teaching the truth. Fulfill your ministry. That is what you're called to do, Timothy. And so Timothy is going to need an eternal perspective like Paul's if he's going to keep going, if he's going to persevere. And here's the thing. So will you. So will you. You may not, I've said this before, you may not be a Timothy. <laughs> may not be a Paul. You're not an apostle, right? Might not be a pastor, right? But we are all called, every single one of us, we're created in the image of God, right? And we're called to, to reflect his image in the world. You were redeemed. You were saved, not just from something, but to something for your purpose, to go out and mirror God in the world, to tell this world about Jesus and to live for Jesus, right? And to show this world what it's like to be under a good God. That's what we're all called to do. Love God, love people to the glory of Jesus Christ. We're all called to do it. And, and Jesus says, that everybody, Paul says, everybody who, who lives that life will be persecuted to some extent. Different levels. But you will be persecuted. And if you're going to make it through this life, there's going to be a lot of discouragements. There's going to be a lot of hardship. There's a spiritual realm that is going on too that sets against us that makes you want to doubt God's goodness. And he does it. He's done it in this church. He wants to make us doubt God's goodness. And he wants you to fall away. He wants you to give up. And that's what Paul's message is to Timothy. Don't give up. Don't give up, church. So we need, a per, we need an eternal perspective if we're going to persevere. Go down to chapter 4 of 2 Timothy, starting in verse 6. Paul says, For I am already being poured out as a drink offering. In the letter to the Philippians, he said, he said to the Philippians, he wrote, he said, even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering. Now, he's telling Timothy, he says, I'm already being poured out as a, a, uh, uh, a drink offering. What does that mean? He's, he's talking about his death. That's what he's talking about, what's coming up. And so with Philippians, remember, he had a hunch he was going to get out. He says, but hey, if I'm wrong and, you know, I die, then, then, then I die. So I may be being poured out as a drink offering. He goes, but now he's saying, I, I'm already. He knows, right? His hunch in his spirit, he knows he's about to die. Paul knows he's near death. The drink offering, when you look in your Old Testament and in the Jewish culture, actually in pagan cultures too, they also had drink offerings, is it wasn't the main offering. It, it accompanied the, the, the main offering. So let's say you have like a, a burn offering, right? You take the animal sacrificed and you're, and you're, you're burning it, you, you, would, you would take the wine and you would either, depending on the culture, you would either pour it on, on the fire or you would pour it around the fire and it would be consumed, it accompanied. It came and, and, and ma it, made, it made the offering complete. That makes sense? It, it, it finished off the offering, it made it complete. Why is that important? It, it's, it's Paul's perspective. It's, it's, it's the way Paul sees his life. His, his offering in life was to make the Philippians was to make uh, Timothy, it was to make them complete in Christ. He saw himself as a shepherd, he was an apostle, and his whole goal is that they would know Christ and they would finish the race, right? 
and that they're, they're, you know, they would keep enduring and persevering, just like he's encouraging uh, Timothy. And he's, he's saying, but my time has come. I'm being poured out as the ultimate offering uh, to Jesus Christ. Again, an eternal perspective. And what is an eternal perspective? It's like Paul. He says, to live is Christ, to die is gain. So he realized, like, my mission in this world is to live for Jesus Christ. And hey, if I die, there's something better. And I, and I believe, and the Bible shows us, that when you, when you see that there's something better, when you see that there's a heavenly reward, when you see the finish line, when you can keep your eyes on the prize, it actually, it actually makes this life more, it makes you more productive in this life. It keeps you going in this life. It keeps you from falling into despair, right? It keeps you from giving up. And so that's, 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 whole, that's Paul's whole, um, whole purpose. That's what he wants for Timothy. That's what he wanted for the Philippian church. An eternal perspective drives us to live as offerings to God, not allowing the fear of rejection or death to cripple us from doing so. Paul says, the time, Timothy, of my departure has come. And he's not, he's not going on a trip. He's, he's about to die. The time of my departure to go be with the Lord, it has come. Listen to this, verse 7, he says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. <laughs> he expects to stand before the Lord and the Lord to say, well done, good and faithful servant. Paul, has, Paul doesn't have uh, any regrets. He says, I have kept the faith. That word faith, it's pistis in, in, in the Greek. It's, it's a word that like the English... We don't quite have a word. What we have is faith that, that quite can contain what pistis means. Pistis is multifaceted, right? It's not just believing that God exists. Remember, James says even the demons believe and they shudder. They believe Jesus exists. They believe God exists. They believe Jesus died on the cross for people's sins. They know that, right? So it's not just that. You know, in our American culture, it's like, hey, do you believe this? Yes. Okay, well, you're saved. No, that's not what faith is. That's part of faith. That's part of faith, right? I, I like last time I mentioned pistis, I mentioned this. So that's that's one side of faith, right? Another side is 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 uh, trust and dependence on God, right? Another side is is uh, loyalty and allegiance to that God. You know, like people will say, you know, some people, you know, Obama, they say that's my president, and others with Trump, oh, that's my president, right? That's my Jesus. That's my Lord. I'm allegiant to Him, right? That's, that's, that's pistis. That's pistis. Believing that God exists, trusting and depending on him, being loyal, and then the other part is faithfulness. That's the other part that we, we miss out on. We, 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 treat, we treat Jesus as like, hey, say this little prayer with me, and then you can go and you can forget all about him. And that's what being uh, saved is all about. No, faith continues. It's faithfulness. It's, it's being faithful. Yes, it starts with the prayer. It starts with you realize that Jesus is who he says he is, right? And you want to be Lord and you want to place your trust in him. But when you trust, I don't just trust my wife at the altar. I continue trusting her. It's a, it's a, it's a relationship, right? I'm forth from that, uh, from that point in covenant with her, or I'm going to live with her and trust her. And that's what it is to trust in Jesus Christ. And so that's what Paul means when he says, I have kept the faith. I persevered. He compares it to, to a race. Think, when you think of a race, don't think of like, I'm trying to beat other people. 
Think of it like a, a, a marathon or a journey. You're like the uh, those reality shows where um, people are like thrown out into the wilderness, you know, the contestants or whatever, and then they're eliminated. They can't persevere, they give up, you know, and so they're sent home. You know what I mean? That's what that's what the life of 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 faith is like. It's a it's it's an enduring during those times of hardship. Again, Jesus said that man, there's there's two things that stand in the way. When people receive Christ, they say that little prayer or whatever, they place their faith in Jesus Christ, and one of two things can happen. Either A, the good things in the world start happening, right? Money and riches, I've seen it. People fall away, they lose pistis, right? They give up, right? And man, it's like I'm enjoying the world too much, right? And so their faith wanes. The other people, hardship comes and their faith, their faith wanes. It pulls them away from God. So the, the call, Paul's call is, hey, remain faithful. Keep trusting in the Lord. And so Paul is, 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 is confident and he knows he's going to die. And he says, henceforth, there is laid up. I've finished the race. I've kept the faith. I've fought the good fight. Henceforth, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, that final reward when I meet Jesus face to face, my time of rest, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but all who love his appearing, all those who love Jesus. An eternal perspective that keeps our eyes on the prize. It keeps us running with patient endurance, no matter what comes our way. It'll keep you faithful. It'll keep you living to God and for others. Paul says, Romans 8, 18, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time, they're not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Love that passage. <laughs> the times are suffering. You know, glory is not even going to compare. It's going to make all this stuff just melt away. All this suffering that I'm going through right now or this uh, troubles or whatever problems I have right now, man, it's not even it's not even going to compare when we get to glory. Can you imagine him telling you know Timothy and the Romans and and these you know the Roman church you know telling them, hey, I know you're being persecuted. I know some of you are dying to the faith, but man, when we get to glory, it's going to be so great. All this is going to be done with it. I encourage you, just keep going, keep going, keep pursuing Christ, keep doing the work of a good soldier. Man, Martin Luther King Jr. had this down. He's such an inspiration. The night before he died, this was part of his speech. The night before he was murdered, this was part of his speech. He says, like anybody, I would like to live a long life. Longevity has its place. Listen to this, but I'm not concerned about that now. Man. Like he was getting on airplanes and they were having to delay the flight. Oh no, Martin Luther King Jr. is on the flight. Everybody, we need to double check everything. <laughs> we need to double check the people. We need to double check the plane, make sure everything's good because Martin Luther King Jr. is on this flight. And so those things are happening to him. And here he is, he knows something. I mean, he's like Paul. He's expecting his, I mean, this, this, this speech was almost like prophetic. I mean, he knew, he knew his death was coming. He knew people were out to get him. And he says, like anybody, I'd like to live a long life. Longevity has its place. But listen to this. But I'm not concerned about that now. I just want to do God's will. Can you say that? Can you say, I just want to do God's will. That's where Paul wants Timothy, right? That's where Paul wants the church because they're enduring heavy, heavy persecution. I want God's will to be higher than the fear of hardship and persecution. 
MLK said, he said, and, and he's allowed me to go to the, mount, the top of the mountain and look over and I've seen the promised land. Now he's not talking about heaven right there. He's talking about the civil rights movement. He sees a day when all men are created equal. And he says, God's allowed me to see that. So he's talking figuratively there, right? He says, I might not get there with you, but I want you to know tonight that we as a people, we will get to the promised land. And so I'm happy tonight. <laughs> and here he goes, I'm not worried about anything. <clears throat> I'm not fearing any man. Mine eyes have seen the glory of the coming Lord. This man, you know what kept him marching forward despite death? Staring at him in the face, an eternal perspective. He knew that this life wasn't it, and he had a mission. The civil rights, that was his mission, right? That was his purpose. That was part of his purpose. He has the same purpose as we all do, right, to glorify God. And he was glorifying God through that mission, and not even death could stop him, right? Because <laughs> he knows he's going to be with the Lord. To live as Christ, to die is gain, Paul says to Timothy, verse 9, do your best to come to me soon. Yes, uh, I think we skipped down, didn't we? No, we're still, okay, verse 9. Do your best to come to me soon, Timothy. Uh, so apparently Timothy was able to visit him in, in prison before he died. That's pretty cool. Um, For Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to, uh, to Thessalonica. Man, Demas, man, that guy... Just to think his legacy is going to go down like this, like written in the Bible. Like, because he's mentioned in, in Colossians uh, 4.14 very fondly. Man, go tell my brother Demas, you know, uh, greet him in, in the name of the Lord. I love that dude. You know, that's what Paul's talking about in Colossians. And now, the final word on Demas is, well, not the final word, but the final word in Scripture on Demas is that he deserted him. It says, Demas, in love with this present world, has has deserted me. And I don't think it was that like Demas like won the lottery or something and was like, hey, you know, I'm, see ya. <laughs> you know, it, what, is, what does he mean by in love with the present world? He didn't have an eternal perspective, right? He feared, he feared he didn't want to lose this life, right? He was afraid of losing this life. So that fear drove him. Fear stops us in our tracks. And it caused him to abandon his, his friend. Fear is, is threatened by the possible outcomes, right? We start thinking about the possible outcomes in life when we fear those things, and it stops us dead in our, in our tracks. You ever had stress dreams? Anybody ever had those? Yeah, I had one, babe. I had one last night. Whew, it was bad, and I woke up, and it's 15 minutes before I had to get up, and so I just spent that 15 minutes in, in prayer. Uh, but last night, <clears throat> I dreamed <clears throat> getting ready for church service, and uh, for some reason, it wasn't this building. It's always somewhere else for some reason. We're in another building, and it's, 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 it's crowded. There's a lot of people from my past that are there, you know, old friends and stuff like that, and, and they're all there. And, and, man, the dream's going great, right? <clears throat> and then uh, Luke and Katie, you're leading worship. <clears throat> and uh, in between one of the worship songs, she's like, hey, I got an idea. For some reason, there was a, a lazy river nearby. It's a dream, and it wasn't a divine dream. You know, dreams still mean something even when they're not divine dreams. They're, you know, your brain's telling you something. And uh, although I think God can use it, he got me praying this morning. And uh, <laughs> so <clears throat> Katie's like, hey, I got an idea. How about at halftime? I'm like, halftime? What does that mean? 
She's like, how about at halftime, we all go get in the lazy river. That'll be fun or something like that. I'm like, no way, no. And then so when we had our little break, I went up to Katie. I was like, what are you talking about? It's like, yeah, we could go do that. I was like, what do you mean by halftime? Is that like in between like worship and the preaching? She's like, yeah. I was like, no, that's not a good idea. <laughs> and then so I get ready to preach and everything's going wrong. Like iPads mess. And so for the rest of my probably five hours of sleep, it feels that long in the dream. Is like I, the whole time I'm trying to get everything and, and everybody's dwindling. Some of you guys are getting tired and you're leaving and you're walking out the door. And like for five hours, I'm like trying to get everything. Everything's just going wrong and I can't pull it all together to make it happen. Stress dreams, y'all ever had something like that? <clears throat> you know where it comes from? Fear. You're afraid. of you're, it's, your, it's your worst fears. Your brain is taking your worst fears and it's telling a story based on your fears. So, fear sees those possible outcomes and it stops us in our tracks. So I pray, God, help me to trust you, right? Help me to trust you and not stress and worry about those types of things. Faith trusts God while we're on the tracks. If fear stops us on the tracks, faith trusts God while we're walking those tracks while we're running the race. And then hope, hope's an important thing this morning. Hope is the ability to look beyond the tracks. So you're, you're walking the tracks in faith and hope is looking forward and the ability to look beyond the tracks. You see, Demas, he lacked an eternal perspective. He was walking the tracks, he allowed fear to stop him and he couldn't see beyond the tracks. And so he got the heck out of Dodge. You, some, some people say that you can't have faith and fear at the same time. I don't agree. Like, you can Google it. You can Google faith and fear, and you're going to see things pop up. There's going to be articles. Some of you, faith and fear can't, you know, can't coexist. You, faith and fear can't be in the same place. I disagree. I disagree. Matt Chandler agree, uh, agrees with me. He says, faith doesn't mean an absence of fear. It means facing fear and trusting that God's goodness is greater. Now, Brene Brown, she talks about courage and, and vulnerability, right? And a lot of people think, like, courage is the absence of vulnerability, right? I'm courageous, so I'm not vulnerable. And she said, so I started asking some soldiers, like, when you're on the battlefield, do you feel vulnerable? Oh, heck yeah. Okay, so you, you need vulnerability to be courageous, <laughs> right? Uh, courage is overcoming that vulnerability. It's walking into that vulnerability and being courageous. If vulnerability didn't exist, you're not you're not. There's nothing to be courageous about. You're just doing it. You know what I mean? And so faith is overcoming fear, walking through that fear. Now, there's times, you, you know, you can be in faith and your, your, your fear flees. But the reason I'm saying this is like, hey, if you're scared, you can still, you can still walk in faith. Just do it scared. Do it scared. Trust God that God is greater. Trust God that God is greater. Let's go to verse 16. We're almost done. At my first defense, Paul says, no one came to stand by me, but all deserted me. May it not be charged against them. Wow, that's super cool. Like, Paul, what a, what a perspective. What can we learn from that? Like, Paul was so gentle with their weaknesses, right? So even Demas, like, he abandoned him. And he didn't, he didn't say, Man, I wish Demas would burn in hell. You know, about all these people that deserve it. May God not charge it against them. I mean, he, he, 
He empathized with their weakness. Why didn't he say that about Hymenius? Hymenius wasn't walking in weakness. That was rebellion. There's a difference. There's a difference. 17, but the Lord stood by me and strengthened me so that through me, the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. That's cool. Perspective matters, right? So everybody had abandoned him, just like Jesus got abandoned. And just like Jesus, he's like, hey, you know, I got God. You know, he's with me. I know he's with me. It may not feel like it, but I know he said he'll never leave me. He'll never forsake me. He says he's always with me. Jesus said he's going to send the comforter. He's not going to, he's always going to be there with me. And so Paul's like, I know the Lord stood with me. He was there with me. And so I was rescued from the lion's mouth. Again, God delivers. Praise God, man. Paul, time and time again, had been rescued from the lion's mouth. God had delivered him. You know what the problem with that is? Christians often focus on this part of Scripture. How God, man, look, look how God, you know, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they were thrown into the fiery furnace, and God, God rescued them. I have a whole sermon called, But If Not, because people, people lose, <laughs> they don't see that the, the, they said, but if not, we're still going to worship the Lord. Paul has a but if not. Actually, he's, he's, right now, he's pretty sure it's not. He's not going to be delivered. And so say, he says, hey, man, God has rescued me. I was rescued from the lion's mouth. But watch this change in perspective. Verse 18, and the Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Do you hear what he said? Pay attention to that. God is going to rescue me from every evil deed and deliver me into his heavenly kingdom, right? So that's an eternal perspective right, right there, right? But he says safely into his eternal kingdom. What happened to Paul? Did he die of old age? How did Paul die? He was beheaded. He was thrown into this dungeon for two years, and then he was beheaded. And he says that I have no doubt that God is going to deliver me again, and he's going to deliver me safely into his kingdom. What does he say in, in Romans, um, Romans 8, 18? For I consider the sufferings of this present time aren't worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Can you imagine... Paul waking up on the other side. Do you think that beheading, that, that sword coming down on his neck, do you think it means anything in the light of glory? That's how it's going to be when we wake up on the other side. When we wake up in glory, this world is just going to pale away in comparison to anything that could happen to us. They can kill the body, they can't destroy the soul. Nobody can take the eternal life away from us that God has given us. Do you understand that? Nobody. Nobody. An eternal perspective is a game changer. It was a game changer for Paul. Through suffering, Satan, he intends to destroy our faith. And he's going to try. He's going to try. Every single one of us, he's going to try. And through that same suffering, God intends to purify our faith. And again, I'm not saying, stop saying, you know, all the time, the, like, you know, why did God do this to me? Why did God do that to me? Man, bad things just happen in life. And this world 
Satan hates the Christian. Eusebius, he lived in uh, between 265 and 339 AD. He was talking about early Christians. He says, they endured burning, beheading, crucifying, devoured by beasts, drowning in the sea, maiming, embroiling of the members, goring and digging out of the eyes, mangling of the whole body, moreover, famine and imprisonment. To be short, they suffered every kind of torment for the service of God rather than they would leave the worship of God or embrace the adoration of idols. Times of suffering are a crossroad in our faith. And here's the thing. Either your faith will be refined by those hardships, or it'll be burned up. We meet a fork in the road. And you know, there, there are some cases, I feel like I need to mention this as we close, there are times that you, uh, you bring it on yourself. I'm very careful, you know, because, you know, <laughs> I want to make sure, you know, some of us just blame ourselves for everything, right? Like, oh, why is God doing this? Why am I being punished? No, you're not being punished. But there are times you bring it on yourself and you suffer the consequences for it. Second Peter 2.20, Peter says, hey, what credit it is if you, if you suffer and, 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 you know, because of your sin, right? If you're sinning and then, and then suffering for it, what credit is there for you? But it's beautiful in the sight of God when you're serving him and you suffer for it. Not because God's making you suffer and he's like, ooh, that is beautiful. I love to see you suffer. Stop looking at the Bible like that. That's not what it's about. He's saying the hardships come in this world. This world's against you. The devil's against you. And when you suffer and you keep your eyes on me and you keep your eyes on the prize, it's beautiful in my sight. I'm there with you. I'm not going to leave you forsake you. I'm going to deliver you safely into the kingdom of God. Look at it that way. And so if, if, if it's the case where you know, the things you're doing are causing you to suffer and causing you hardship, you need, to, you need to examine yourself. Take a good look in the mirror. Be honest with yourself. Sometimes just a, it's just a cruel, messed up, broken world. Bad things happen in a broken world. Bad things happen. I do not believe we got to close. I'm sorry, guys. I'm, I'm really finished. I'm sorry. Every, every, every week with, the, with this particular series, it just goes on and on. I'm sorry. I'll, I'll promise I'll try and shorten in the future. Um, I don't believe everything happens for a reason. I don't. Bad things just happen. Bad things happen to good people. Problem is, is when we say everything happens for a reason, and people are like, really? What kind of God is that? You know, this person was brutally raped and murdered, and you're going to tell me everything happens for a reason. That's not, the Bible doesn't say that. I work, I work all things for the good of those who love me and are called according to my purpose does not mean I caused the bad that happened. It means I, flip, I can flip the script if you allow me to. And you might not feel it right away. You're going to have to go through the healing, you know, the brokenness. Is, you had to get counseling, get people to pray with you. You know, you're going to have to dear, you're going to have to grieve. But if you allow me, I promise, if you'll trust me, I can flip the script. So sometimes bad things just happen, and there's no explanation, just that that's why Jesus came and died, because this world's messed up. And sometimes it's opposition to Jesus. That's what's going on with Timothy and the Philippians and Paul. You know, there's, there's people that hate Jesus. There's people that don't like the light. Bible talks about it. 
There's definitely spirits that we neglect that are working behind the scenes that don't like Jesus. But we have to trust that God will flip the script. You see, God can turn the crosses that we bear into resurrection beauty. You believe that? You believe that? Because he's done it before. Like literally, he took the cross. He took death. He took Jesus in the grave. And three days later, he made something beautiful out of it. That's the pattern. That's the pattern. And man, if you don't see it in this life and, 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 and you know, we suffer in this life. Some of these guys, they suffered their whole lives. You, do you understand that? Like, well, I, you know, I keep suffering. God, when's he going to deliver me now? And God does deliver. He delivered Paul, right? But Paul suffered his whole life. Beatings and stonings and whippings and shipwreck and all kinds of stuff. But he said, God's going to deliver me safely into his kingdom. We need to look ahead, right? Nothing can stop us. We need to look to the resurrection. Ultimately, that is God. You know, we, I'm going to stop after this. <laughs> this is the finish line, right? Eternity's over here. It's pretty cool over here. But this is the finish line. You know, this is my birth, and I'm, I'm right here, right? <laughs> what? All right, I'm 45. I'm right here. I'm 45. But hey, Paul, you know, he was younger. He could, you know, he's right there at the end of his life. The problem is, is like, we are looking ahead to here. What God, what's God going to do? And when he doesn't do it, like, what kind of God is this, man? I'm going to live the rest of my life, you know, in this pain or suffering or turmoil, turmoil or hardship. And we fall into despair. I mean, that's how atheists operate, right? It's like, my goodness, I'm about to go to the grave and my life's going to be worthless. What about my legacy? What about making a name for myself, you know? But an eternal perspective looks beyond that. You realize you're going to live forever in a reality that is more real than anything that we experience here. This isn't the reality. That's the reality. We can't see it yet, but that's the reality and you guys know that it's not living on fluffy clouds and playing harps. It's a world that is renewed and sin is taken away and all the brokenness. So it's very real existence with Jesus as our king. We've got we to be able to look beyond that. That's what helps us to endure. That's why an eternal perspective matters. That's why when you lay your head down, now you think, man, I can't wait for that day. <laughs> I can't wait. Because, man, dreaming about heaven, when you daydream about heaven... It, it changes things. It keeps you, it, it puts the smile back on your face. It puts the joy back in your heart when things are tough. God wants you to trust that he will rescue you from every evil deed and bring you safely into his kingdom.